Hey everybody, I'm Dr. Andy Rourke and this is the Uncharted Podcast. Guys, I am so excited about this episode. I'm really interested in what you guys are going to think and how this is going to resonate with people. We have a married couple that owns a vet clinic and one of them is really burning out. And the other one is really wrestling with guilt because they're not burning out and they want to keep going and they're torn between their own dream and supporting their spouse in the way they think their spouse might need to be supported. There's a, there's a, oh, there's a lot here. I had a friend uh, listen to this episode in between the time that we got it cleaned up and uh, between publication and he loved it. I, I was, he was like, this is really great. Just for anybody who, uh, anyone who's married, anyone who has a business partner, this is, uh, this is fascinating uh, discussion. And so I, I really like this episode. Guys, I hope you're going to love it. Let's get into this episode. And now, the Uncharted Podcast. And we are back. It's me and Stephanie. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine goss. <laughs> oh, how are you doing, Andy? Good morning. I am. Uh, good morning to you. I am doing well. Uh, spring has sprung here in South Carolina. Uh, the Uncharted veterinary conference is right up around the corner as we're Yay. recording this and i am excited about that working on new projects i'm um man i'm feeling good i had uh, been busy in the clinic but not nightmare busy knock on wood i've got a bunch of projects i've been i've been doing a lot of writing that i've been really enjoying and and making new lectures and workshops for uncharted that have been very rewarding. I've got some good yard work projects going where I'm getting outside mm-hmm. and working and enjoying that. And overall, just just in a good spot right now, you know? Nice. nice. How about you? Uh, I am good. You know, it's, uh, it's funny because I was having a conversation with um, a friend this week about how much of a difference the sunshine makes in mm-hmm. your life. And I um, I know when we first moved to the Pacific Northwest, there was a lot of conversation with people who were from here about seasonal affective disorder. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a real thing. We luckily uh, were in the rain shadow between the mountains and the Seattle side. And so we actually get a good amount of sunshine compared to the Seattle side of the water. But um, it is real, the struggle to... Um, be be happy and put a smile on your face when when it's constantly cloudy and rainy. And so we have been having some really good sunshine weather. And I have had a couple of moments where I've just caught myself like turning my face up and soaking in the sun and and really just like imagining myself as a battery cell that like when Wally recharges his batteries in the movie and it gets real small and it's you just see the 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 light go up 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 and then boing he's he's bright and awake and that's that's what I think of when I sit out in the sunshine here. But yeah, it's beautiful. I agree. I totally agree with that. There's, there's been some kind of sort of, we're talking a little bit about some wellness stuff today from a question from the mailbag, but mm-hmm. you know, that's one of those subtle things that shouldn't be overlooked. You know, I, I picked that up from, from a lot of sort of reading of, of Buddhist uh, principles and things mm-hmm. like that. And it's just a thing that I have found to be true that works for me is this idea that your environment really does have an effect oh, yeah. on how you feel. And 
part of that can just be, you know, the sun, the sunshine. It's stepping outside and letting the sun hit your face and breathing the air and just sort of soaking that in. But uh, it goes all the way down to workspaces. I, I will tell you, I am a naturally disorganized person, which means that stuff tends to kind of pile up around mm-hmm. me. Uh, you know, over time, it just mm-hmm. it just does. And then I have to I have to force myself to do that purge, to do that big cleaning, that straightening, just to get everything back in order around me. And so just just thinking about that is like, man, our physical environment absolutely does affect how we feel. And it's just whether it's taking a couple minutes to get outside and let the sun hit you in the face and just be out of the building, or whether it's taking a couple of minutes just to clean up your desk mm-hmm. and get rid of that pile of journals, because you're not going to read them. Like... <laughs> I know I'm not the only one who's on a cycle where I just pile journals up for six months and then recycle them all and pledge to do better next time and then start back over. Like, you're not going to read them. Get rid of them. Go through the mail pile and get, you know, go through the mail pile and purge it. It's, it's, there's nothing in there that's, that I, that I absolutely need. I totally, totally agree with that. And, uh, yet all of this, (laughs) all of this, except for maybe, the conversation about therapy has nothing to do with our episode today. <laughs> it's got it's got everything to do with uh, with Wellness. finding peace in your life mm-hmm. and coming to a good place. But yes, it has other other than that. It's a very <laughs> this is you might consider this a tangent, and we should probably bring it back in. Uh huh. We'll we're, we're, we're reel it back in for you guys. So right, what uh, are we what are we actually talking about? Yeah, today? what are we talking about today? Oh, you're asking me. Oh. <laughs> I was like, you're looking at the outline as well. Okay, I'll I'll read this. We're going to the mailbag today. What? My, so that was a that's a power play by Stephanie Goss. She was just like, what are we doing today, Andy? Oh my god, I can't. <laughs> okay, it's like, well, excuse. Sorry, I didn't have that ready, Goss. Let me let me get on this. All right, my spouse and I are veterinarians who own a clinic together. I do more of the business stuff, and he is more clinical slash medical director in his role. Long story short, he is 100% burned out. I think he is depressed, and he has agreed to talk with a counselor, but I worry it won't be enough. Our clinic is very busy, and I don't know that I can keep it all going without him. Owning a vet clinic has been my dream, not his, and now I wonder if I have been selfish. What can I do? And I saw this and thought, oof, ouch, that's heavy. Mm-hmm. This is not uncommon. I no. mean, I, I'm, yeah, this is not uncommon. I, I see, I see a lot of, I see a lot of, I think there's a lot of guilt in married uh, vet couples yes. about, um, about pushing the other partner into things. I mean, your marital partner of, of being like, I wanted a vet practice and he was kind of ambivalent. And now we have a vet practice and I don't know that he really enjoys being a co-owner, you know? So I have to say, until I worked at my most recent clinic, which was a, a corporate um, clinic, I have always worked in private practice and every single practice that I have managed has been a partner team, husband and wife, mm-hmm. um, or a partner and partner team. And um, the number one thing that I think we have to start with is, so for 15 years of my 16 years in practice, I worked with 
partners. And the number one thing that I ask when I interview is, do you have a marriage counselor? Do do you go to therapy together? Because I will not work with a team that is working together at home and in the business and is together 24-7 without there being a professional involved because the dynamics of that and the the gravity and the weight, even if you don't own your practice, even if you're just working in the same practice, being together 24-7 like that, there there has to be a professional involved for everybody's sake. Like it's healthy. Yeah. So, okay. So there's two pieces to this. It's funny that you went there and we're like, just because you're together all the time, you should have a, a therapist. And I'm, I'm, I went to the business side, which is this, uh, 50, 50 partnerships are the worst kind of business <laughs> partnerships to yes. have. They yes. are, you know, they just, they just are mm-hmm. because you have two equal partners which means that you have to agree yes and that's really hard so if you were not married to this person and you went to a a lawyer and you said we're going to be partners we're going to be 50 50 the lawyer is almost certainly going to say that is a bad idea Mm -hmm. one of you should be 60 and the other should be 40 like like it's just i i went through a a thing like this not too long ago so i was i was looking at a business partnership and there's three of us and i went and talked to this contract lawyer who's really good and basically what he said is he was like you can make this fair to the point of being non-functional and that is the worry is you know is you make something so fair that it just doesn't work and everyone is unhappy and nothing gets done and again there's a hundred percent business partnership we're talking about here but st- there is truth to that, you know, when, and when we, we bring our married partner into our business, they are our business partner. And now we have this sort of 50-50 partnership. Mm-hmm. Having some sort of outside consultant advisor to help yeah. navigate this, this business relationship, I, that speaks to me. And there have been a number of married couples running practices that I have made that recommendation to. And it's always kind of a dicey recommendation to make, like, hey, maybe you guys should get a marriage counselor. (laughs) But, but it is true. It's like, hey, you have a 50-50 partner and you guys have different ideas about what you want to accomplish or what the point of all this is. And having a designated space to talk through those things mm-hmm. and a facilitator to help stay on the same page with those things, to me, that makes strategic sense. It's it's so funny, too, because I've been thinking about I've actually been thinking about this a lot this this last week, not not in this context, um, in a completely uh, personal context. But, um, you know, uh, I. I think that when you're doing creative brain stuff with someone else in in business, what you just said is so important. Like there are going to be times where you both see things differently or you want to go in two different directions. And sometimes you can talk that out with each other and it can be okay. But having a neutral third party um, and this is where as a manager, like I've always struggled and why I put up the boundary and ask the question, 
do you have a therapist? And also, do you each have your own separate attorney? Like those are two interview questions I ask because as a manager, I don't want to be the neutral party in the in the middle. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it's so, so helpful because the, that's the voice of experience. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah. There are people who have gone to school that have the training who can look at you completely objectively because they're not sitting five feet away from you in the office in the practice every day, the way that, you know, a manager might be. And so I, you know, I think it's, it's a funny question, right? And some people might take offense to it, but I think, um, I think part of our work in veterinary medicine is destigmatizing, protecting our mental health. And for me, one of the number one tools, if you're doing any kind of creative work with a partner um, where you're going to come across differing opinions at some point in time is being able to have the the safe space to go and work that out and then either together or with the help of that person get the tools to talk through the hard things like it's just a no-brainer to me yeah no that i i I like that a lot i think that's great i think it's a great opening statement to make that i guess my my opening on this i want to go after the guilt part that was expressed here because I, I see that very commonly of people saying this was my dream and my spouse came along mm-hmm. and now I have terrible guilt mm-hmm. and I don't think that it is reasonable to feel guilty because you did not know the future right that that, that that's that's what i think i i yeah. think obviously there are there are situations where one person bulldozes the other person and doesn't listen to them and forces them into a place and they're unhappy i'm not trying to discount that stuff i think that that is generally the uh the rare exception to what happens i think for most of us we don't have a crystal ball. We can't see the future. We communicate to our spouse what we think is important or what we want to do or what our dreams and aspirations are. And mm-hmm. they say, I'm in. I'll come along and do this because I know that you love it. And it sounds like a thing that I would explore with you. Right. Like, right. I love you and I want to practice. And, and you know, I, I will back you up because I'm your partner. And here we go. I don't feel like the person who said this is my dream should then carry that guilt. And so I want to try to take that off of people's shoulders and say, you know, all we can do is be honest about our needs and our desires and listen to our partner about theirs and know that no one knows how they're going to feel down the road from here. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I think about think about right now we're in a pandemic two years ago. If you're like, Andy, you want to be a business owner? And I said, yes, as like. If I was unhappy now, which I'm not, but if I was, I don't think that anyone should feel guilty about that because no one knew that there was a global pandemic coming and, <laughs> you know, and, and, and my right. life was going to be radically different. And like, right. that's just, that's beyond the scope of knowledge of anyone. And so no one who advised me to take this path should feel guilty in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, you know, I think, I think when I, when I read it, I went to the same places you did Andy about the feeling the guilt and the question about wondering if I've been selfish and what can I do? Um, I think that's why I brought up the, the therapy part, because I think it's great if this person's spouse has agreed to talk to a counselor. And I also think that this person needs a safe space to talk it out for themselves because unpacking Mm -hmm. that guilt is really paramount to moving forward in a healthy way. And so whether you, you know, do go, go to therapy with your spouse or you do it separately, I think having 
a safe space to talk through that is super, super important in terms of being able to be honest with their feelings and their needs and sharing that with their partner. Like that's some crucial conversations stuff. And most people wouldn't feel equipped to have those conversations necessarily, even with their spouse who they love and they've committed to spending their lives together. Right. Like that's that just because I've committed my life to having the call to, to being with someone doesn't mean that having those hard conversations gets easier. They're still hard. Yeah. Well, I want to unpack this outside advisor position a little bit more too, is I would say that if you are a married couple and you're in the practice and you're having these types of, of concerns about, I, I love this, this is my passion, this other person has decided they're they're not excited about it or they don't want to do it or they, they, just, they really despise it. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, having, uh, say, a marriage counselor that we talked to mm-hmm. and then my spouse also having their own yes. therapist yes. or their own person as, as a separate person. I don't think that that's bad. I think that's a conversation to have with the therapist and say, hey, is it appropriate for us to both see you and then for him to see you as well? Right. Uh, and, and again, I know that therapists has, have some uh, have some guide, guidelines and ideas of, about that just because they don't want it to be like, oh, I work with this person and now you're coming in this outside thing and now it doesn't feel like I'm this neutral, neutral. third party. I, mm-hmm. I feels like I'm with him and you're this outside person who comes in and talks to the two of us and, and that's that's defeats the whole the whole thing so and the other reason i say that is just because i'm going to make this point uh hopefully rather strongly when we when we get into this too is it is very easy to look at a depressed spouse and say this person is depressed because of our practice or because of how things are going or because they're burned out at work and my experience is usually this person is depressed because they're depressed and that encompasses their work life, but it also encompasses their home life and their personal goals and their view on politics and the world and, you know, the community they live in. It's just I I think oftentimes we can um, we can take some st- struggles with depression or mental health things and we just boil them down to this. It's about the practice. And mm-hmm. you go, mm-hmm. this is w- beyond the practice. This is a holistic a thing that a lot of people go through and so focusing entirely on the practice that may be you attacking a symptom of the problem and not really the root of the problem and mm-hmm. I, I have just seen people fall into that trap of being like my spouse is unhappy let's uh, really try to work through this as far as what it means for our practice and you go you're 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 not you're fixing a symptom. You know what I mean? You're treating the headache, not the flu. Uh, we need to go and fix the flu. And amazingly, the headache will go away. Yeah. And I think that, that that too is a great reason why working with a professional is helpful because a professional has the 30,000 mile view, right? They're getting what you're telling them. And if you're sharing, if you're sharing things that have nothing to do with work that impact your mental health, they're going to be able to have that perspective in a way that someone who is with you at work or at home all day or both all day long wouldn't necessarily easily be able to have. So let's start there. So let's go ahead and do what we do. We've talked a bit about sort of our overall perspectives on this. Let's get in, let's approach it as we do. Let's get into the headspace part, right? And so for me, regardless of whether or not you uh, bring in a counselor or outside person, I think think there's going to be some of that. We'll get that when we get into the strategies here. Um, 
regardless of, of your views on that, the first thing to do is to zoom out and th- take the 30,000 foot view, as you said, right? We've got to get the whole picture. Oftentimes when people burn out, it's not about work mm-hmm. per se. It's about life. Right. And a lot of times we talk about resilience. Resilience is as much about how you rest as how you work. And it may be that what's happening in work is 100% manageable if we get these other, if we have other times to, to rest and recharge, or if we have other hobbies, or we have other things that we're involved in, or if we feel like we have a purpose in our life. If we don't feel like practice is fulfilling and rewarding, cutting down on practice often doesn't help us. What, what we need is something that does make us yeah. feel fulfilled and rewarded. Mm-hmm. Like I've just really come to get sort of an existentialist kind of view on on the sort of the meaning of life and to say we've all got to figure out how we're going to derive meaning and purpose from our lives right i i don't believe that there is an innate meaning that's there for all of us i think that we all have to figure out what it is that gives us that meaning and that purpose and i think a lot of times we say i am so sick of practice what we're really saying is I don't know what I'm doing or I don't feel that I have connected to a, to, to a, a purpose that, that motivates me. That may not mean I need to do less practice. It means, it means I got to figure this out. Right. So I don't know. I, I hope I didn't sort of muddy the waters too much there, but, but I, I just think it's important to look at the person holistically mm-hmm. and not at the person from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday through Friday and Saturday mornings. Well, and I think that the reason that that is so hard for so many of us in veterinary medicine, you and I talked recently on another episode about this piece, which is so much of our identity as veterinary professionals is our self-identity is wrapped up Mm -hmm. in our career and who we are Mm -hmm. at work. And so for so many of us, we're deriving personal satisfaction and personal life mission from our work. And when we separate from that, it can be, it can, A, it can be very difficult to separate from that. And then when you do mm-hmm. separate from that, it can have a significant impact on the whole self, right? And so um, it it's worth looking at what are the underlying causes and where the roots, but also figuring out like what are the things in your life that do give you meaning and purpose and satisfaction. Maybe it's not being a veterinarian, which seems like it should be so specific, but really is so vague. Maybe it's being a a surgeon in the practice. Maybe that's part of the, the piece of anxiety for that person, or maybe it's having to manage the staff when their spouse isn't there. Like there are different pieces of being a veterinarian that mm-hmm. could that can and that I have seen in in some of the owners that I have worked with in practice that have been the actual root cause and only when you have the capacity to really look at the whole has that kind of unearthed itself and and really uh, been able to be worked on and only also when they're looking at where is their where is their self-worth and where is their mm-hmm. their value and for a lot of us who are who are workaholics and have our self-identity tied to their work. And I say us because that that very much is me. I mean, a lot of 
what I'm talking about right now is stuff that I'm working on in therapy right now myself, because I do get a lot of personal meaning and self-worth from from my career. And that's mm-hmm. a hard thing to uh, to analyze. And so I think being able to look at what is it about the practice that is bothering you is also an important piece of it. I, I, so, okay, I think that's great. I think there's two things you put your finger on. Number one is what is the part you enjoy? What gives you that meaning? So you can do more of that. Like, how do we mm-hmm. facilitate you, my partner, my spouse, doing the things that you enjoy, that you excel at, that, that mm-hmm. give you meaning? And then yeah. the other part of that is what do you really not like? Or what is the specific thing that makes you unhappy? And you, sometimes some people will just say, I don't like practice. Well, what does that mean? Like, right. let's be honest, practice right. is massive common things that I see in business ownership, for example, is uh, the money part. Mm -hmm. Some people are like, I don't want to uh, know that we're barely making payroll. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? I don't like that is that causes me stress on a level that um, that is maybe irrational, but is very, very real. Mm -hmm. Uh, Somebody else says, I don't want to manage people. Right. I, I am a people person. Um, I am a people pleaser and that's just what I am. And the idea that I am going to make people mad or they're going to talk about me as their jerk boss when I am not around, uh, that keeps me up at night and it really deeply bothers me. Those are real emotions that I see in people who that doesn't mean that they're bad business owners or they don't aren't going to be successful. It mm-hmm. means that they should figure out how to delegate those responsibilities to someone else or to minimize their interactions there or the impact it has on them. Um, Absolutely. Those are just those are those are just really common. I see where people say, I hate being a business owner. I hate being a business owner. I hate being a business owner. What they mean is they are under a massive amount of stress because they they are worried about not making payroll about quote unquote, letting everyone down about failing publicly. And the truth is, this is someone who um, maybe doesn't need to be as involved in the financials where they're looking at them every day. And maybe that should be someone else's job, mm-hmm. um, an outside advisor, your accountant, your office manager, someone like that. Totally. This uh, may be someone who needs a, uh, a safety net. Mm-hmm. They need to build up an emergency fund that is up to the point where they say we have enough money to pay payroll for six months. And because of that, I can look at the numbers and not have a panic attack. And right. other people might say, that's crazy. Six months of an emergency funds, six months worth of, of, of financial resources sitting in account. That's bonkers. I go, well, if that's what you need right. to, to not sleep. be anxious and depressed, then yeah. you need to, we need to figure out how to get you six months of money just to sit on yeah and and that that's just what what needs to happen for you and there's no shame in that but it is a hundred percent to your point understanding this is the trigger for me Mm -hmm. well and i think the other the other piece of it too from this specific example that i would as a as a manager if i was working with this team what i would want to look at is if one vet is doing more of the business stuff and the other one is doing more of the clinical work and they're burnt out the mm-hmm. the just for everyone in practice right now i don't know a single solo practitioner or a solo practitioner with a part-time person which is kind of what this situation sounds like and maybe they have other doctors but if they don't i don't know anybody in that position who isn't burnt out right now because right. the role of being a solo practitioner is has always been hard and is exponentially harder now 
because of curbside and COVID. And so I think, and the, and the doctor shortage and a million other reasons. And so part of it is having a conversation about that. Like, can the partner who's been doing the business stuff take on some of the doctor role? Is that a piece of it? Do they need another vet? Like all of those things would be things that I would explore in terms of trying to figure out what is actually making this veterinarian partner unhappy. And I think that if they are in a clinical role, like you have to look at it from the medicine perspective too. Right. What what does it mean to be stressed during a global pandemic? <laughs> you know, you, you know what I mean? Like yes. that, that's, I guess that, I think that that, that's the point is, um, yeah, I mean, you are working hard and, and everybody's working hard. And I don't say that to discount people's concerns or their struggles. I'm not saying that's not problematic. I'm saying that you may feel like you're struggling and failing. And the truth is you, relative to everyone else, are doing just fine. You just don't feel that way. Um, and and that's, it's so hard to see ourselves clearly. You know, to really get a clear perspective on ourselves is is often so challenging. Well, and I think um, one of the other pieces from a headspace perspective is that when I read this, I could, I totally hallucinated it because they didn't say this, but when I read it and I heard what I read in the tone of their voice was, I'm at this point, I, do, I literally don't know what to do. And I could imagine them catastrophizing, like maybe yeah. we should just sell the practice and maybe I shouldn't, yeah. I should just be the you know own own a business on my own like I could see that that train rolling down the tracks in yeah. this person's mind because when you get to that place where you feel this person clearly feels some guilt about the situation when you get to that place where you're feeling guilt you're feeling anxiety you care about your partner you want to take the weight off of them it can be very easy to catastrophize it in terms of the solution and not be able to look at the solution from a place of perspective. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I hear that a lot. You know, th that guilt, that it's that guilt that keeps tr like sort of triggering me when I, when I read back through this is like, Oh, I feel that pain because that's exactly the type of feeling that, that I get when I read this of like, I've been selfish. I need to sell this practice. And I go, wow you went zero to a hundred real fast. Right. And, and, and I get it. And, and, you know, it can definitely feel that way. Um, especially, you know, this is our spouse. It's one thing if it's us, because we feel like we have more power over our own behavior and own decisions. We, we have only so much control over our, over our spouse or over our partner. And so I, I think that those people who are trying to support their partner can feel even more pushed right. as far as I, I don't have any, what control do I have here? Uh, you know, I, I want to grab the steering wheel and I want to fix this problem. And, and I care about this person more than I care about myself. Um, and that can be a powerful emotional, you know, cocktail. And, and we just have to be, we just have to be careful with it. So the, the things, I guess, sort of the last things I would say with, um, with headspace, you know, this is a this is a time and a place to uh, remember our priorities. What what are we trying to do here, and what is really important? And this is this is a place where we need to check our metrics. All of us have a scoreboard that we look at to say how are we doing, right? Mm -hmm. And it's almost like it's almost like with our key performance indicators in our practice, right? When we start off and we do our key performance indicator workshop, 
through Uncharted with Stephanie Goss, and we're super <laughs> fired up, and we know what our dashboard is, and we feel in control. Uh, UnchartedVet.com. And we, <laughs> we, we feel good. And then we look at all of our metrics. And then over time, have you noticed how some of them drop off? You know what I mean? And like there are other ones where like, oh, this is the one that I'm really paying attention to. And that, I think that happens in life in general. But I, I was I was reading a um, I was reading a, a book. It's called Who Gets What? And it's about it's written by this guy who was brought in by the U.S. government to decide who got compensation from the 9-11 fund after 9-11. Right. And then uh, one of the things that that he also discussed was during the banking collapse, this guy was brought in to uh, to decide what executives at the banks were going to be paid following the bailout, the bank bailout. Don't so his job, job is. <laughs> yes. That's why it's fascinating. I'm like, this is the goal. This is cool. Um, and it, but I, what's crazy is I've been listening to it because I'm really interested in. I, and if you listen to the Kona Shame podcast that I do, I'm I'm really just rolling around. What is fairness to pet owners? What does pet health equity look like? You know, like what is our what is our moral responsibility as caregivers versus our requirement to run healthy businesses? And like, I don't see any help coming for us from the outside. And you know, we're all so busy. So I'm really thinking a lot about systemically how does this work and what is fair and what is our moral duty and what is not our moral duty so we can put it aside. So I've really been wrestling with this. So anyway, so I'm so so I'm I'm reading this book and I'm listening to him talk about these uh like CEOs of like Citibank and Bank of America and Merrill Lynch, right? And he's supposed to tell them what their compensation packages are going to be. And just and ultimately, he will unilaterally decide what these people get paid, mm -hmm. regardless of what their contracts have said in the past. And so you can imagine this. And it was so funny. And the, and the wording he used was really great because he was like, and I'm going to butcher the exact wording, but essentially what he said was, it was amazing and sad to see how these people had summed up the value of life in the monetary amount that they received for mm -hmm. their work. Sure. And I thought about that and I was like, I totally understand how these people would be like, this is the meaning of life, you know, or this is my worth is, you know, is this paycheck. And so when I, I, I go through all of that to say, I think a lot of us have some version of that. And I don't think that most veterinarians zero in on dollars necessarily the way that a Wall Street CEO would. Sure. I hope not. But, <laughs> but I do think we all have that tendency. And so why I'm saying all this is if you are this partner, when we consider our priorities, it's important to shake ourselves and say, okay, okay what is before I start making changes here? What is really important in my life? Mm -hmm. What am I really trying to be? What am I really trying to do? What am I really trying to protect? And isn't it's purely so that you can have a conversation with your spouse so that you can work through these problems knowing what is important to you. And I think for most of us, uh, you know, family is at the top of the list. You know, yeah. it, it is up there. But that also doesn't mean that you should say, well, it's spouse and I'm tossing my dreams of business ownership, which I personally find deeply rewarding and meaningful. I'm throwing that out the window and that doesn't matter. And paying the bills doesn't matter and blah, blah, blah. I, again, 
I, it's a hundred percent about just trying to get an accurate view of what truly matters to you so that you can compromise so you can make changes that will get you where you need to be and there'll be smart changes and not changes that will make you resentful later on because you right. come through this yeah but then you're resentful for the rest of your life or your marriage because the thing that was giving you meaning in your life you gave up to support your partner and and the, ah, that's that's just it's 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 a problem of perspective and just understanding what are your priorities mm-hmm. what do you care about yeah i mean i agree 100 percent, and i think that that is something that is so so smart is that a partnership is two people mm-hmm. and if you comp i i'm huge believer in there being compromise for a partnership to be successful and at the same time andy i think you're so right that when we see our partner hurting, um, whether mm-hmm. it's business or a professional relationship, when you see another person that you're in a partnership with um, hurting or struggling, it is very easy for us to jump to let me relieve that burden. Let me, you know, let me take that away. Let me save the day. And it's so, so important to think about how far are we swinging that pendulum? Because if we do take that away or we compromise too far, then when we have the gift of the perspective of time and things have sorted themselves out on the partner side of the scale, it's so easy for then things to be unbalanced back on your side. And so I think having the foresight to take the time and look at it first before you look at it from your partner's perspective, look at it from your own perspective and knowing the things that do make you happy and that give you meaning and balance and asking your partner, particularly if your spouse is to do the same and then being able to talk to it and through it from a place that is closer to middle ground is so, so healthy and so important to having um, happiness across the partnership in um, terms of the the long haul. Yeah, I, I related to that, I think it's important in this in this is very intertwined with that is you know we can't lose sight of the fact that you, you can't fix your partner either. Right. Which is why we have to understand ourselves and understand our perspective is you can't fix your partner. Like you can't just be like, here, I have done this thing. You're no longer burned out. You're no longer depressed like Mm -hmm. like that, that it doesn't work that way. You can support them, but ultimately your partner will have to steer the effort. They have to want to get better. They have to be willing to make changes and to, you know, and to, and to work through this and, and you can cheerlead them and support them and love them and stand by them. And that is, that is, but that is, that is the, the most that you can do. You can't guess their needs right. to, to success. You know, you know, um, it, it, it really is that. And sort of, yeah, I, I guess that that's, that's the big part of, of sort of the headspace in all of this is is really trying to get your head around. It's getting your oxygen max, mask on yourself mm-hmm. before you put it on the other person, I guess yeah. is really what I'm getting at. But then also just really trying to have a good understanding of yourself because you are going to have to give in this relationship and you are going to be a helper and a supporter, but you have to be smart about it, you know? Mm-hmm. And two other quick 
points that that I, that I want to make about about burnout and depression in in veterinarians. Um, when and this is we talked about about counseling and therapy as well. And again, we're just reading kind of what's here as well. So I, I don't I don't know how deep this goes. We have a bit of a stoic profession in some ways. Uh, we we still very much have a stigma about mental health. I think we've come a long way in addressing and being open about in some ways, but other ways we still have a long way to go. We have a profession full of people who give care but don't take care yeah and i just want to hit this really cleanly from a from a headspace standpoint when someone is at the point of being truly depressed uh we're at a place where clinical where clinical intervention is needed Mm -hmm. and that's not a knock on therapy at all but there is a line where we get to some point and say it's time to see a a Uh medical doctor it is time to uh it is time to get to get a, pharma, a pharmacological intervention, I um, I talk about this sometimes. I I, I went through a period of, of burnout uh, a couple of years ago and, and got really depressed. And uh, the doctor, when I went and talked to her, I'll never forget. I said, you know, I've been I've been doing all these things and I exercise and I do yoga and meditate. All this. She, and she looked at me. She said, Andy, you're not going to yoga your way out of this, buddy. <laughs> and, and, and it was just like, yeah, you know. And so. So, you know, and so I'm like, okay, well, this is, if this is what I got to do to get out of this and get better, then, then I'm going to do it. And I did it and it, uh, it worked just fine. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? It, it, it really did. I don't know that I would have gotten better if I hadn't gone to my primary care doctor and said, I have done all the things, you know, and I just feel awful, you know? Yeah. So anyway, that's that I, I just, I just want to say that of like. At some point, when someone is that they feel that bad and they're that depressed, uh, it's time to admit, "Hey, I need, I need, I need medical intervention here." And then, and then go do it, and don't feel bad about it. And and know the reason I talk about burning out a couple of years ago, as I did, um, is because when I went through this and I got burned out and I just got really depressed, one of the things that scared the hell out of me was that I didn't know anyone who had gone through this, burned out, gotten depressed, and then got better and felt better and went back to enjoying practice and enjoying their job. Mm-hmm. And I 100% do. And so I tell this story, one, because I want to say, hey, man, I was that guy who helped other people but didn't take help himself. And that was that was a, that was a, a burden I had to I had to figure out. And then the other part is I just want to say, hey, look, you, you can get help and and feel better and f- be excited to get out of bed again in the morning. Like that's that happens. And so if you're going, I just I don't know that I'll ever I'll ever get back to not being burned out. I can tell you it can happen. <laughs> Living proof, you know, you can you can come through it. And it's been a few years, and I'm like, oh man, that's in the rear view, and I hope it stays in the rear view. And um, but. I have no regrets about actually going and saying, all right, look, I got to, I got to, I got to work on this. This feels like a good spot to take a break before we talk about what do we actually do with this? Yes. How do you feel about that? That sounds great. Hey gang. I'm so excited to tell you about a a workshop that we have coming up for Uncharted. And when I say we, I actually mean me. I am going to be teaching a workshop in May this time on effective onboarding. This is something I have wanted to do for you guys since we started Uncharted, and I'm super pumped about this one. We're going to be doing a deep dive into onboarding. We're going to cover in part one, the paperwork. So how do we set ourselves up for success from a legal and HR perspective? And then part two is going to be about the people. So 
how do we bring people into our culture and teams intentionally and make it an experience that helps them stick with our team. And then in the middle, we're going to have an office hour session. We can dive into questions and uh, cover the things that you've always uh, wanted to ask. And if I don't know the answer, we'll see if I can direct you guys to people who are much smarter than me and do. So I look forward to seeing you all there. Registration is $1.99 and it's free to Uncharted members. So if you're not yet an Uncharted community member and you want to check it out, you can find more information at unchartedvet.com forward slash upcoming dash events. Hope to see you guys there. All right, let's get into what we actually do uh, with this. Yeah. Right. And again, remember, I'm the spouse in this scenario. And so I don't have uh, complete control over the actions of the person that we're talking about. I think you got to talk with start with compassion. I I agree. I would start with a very big hug because that's yes. what I do. <laughs> yeah. Right. But it's it's gathering that energy and taking off the work face and whether it's hugging that person or sitting down at the table with them or whatever feels right to you but but coming to the place where you're gonna have a conversation with them from a place of love and compassion and like I care about you I don't want you to be miserable and I feel like that's what I'm seeing and so I I want to sit down and and talk about what I can do to support you. Yeah. Not I'm going to fix this for you, but you know what can I do to to help? And also go into it with the with the knowledge that when you ask someone how I can help and they're overwhelmed, they probably don't know the answer. But if mm-hmm. you're coming to it from a place of compassion just saying I see you hurting and I, I just I need to give you a hug or I need to just sit yeah. down and and, you know, hold space for you, whatever your relationship is. But being able to say, let's talk about this because it's not going to yeah. go away. Like if this if this partner is feeling like their spouse is miserable and they're carrying the guilt that I read in what they said, like it's not going to go away. They need to sit down yeah. and have a conversation about it. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. I think speaking of conversation, I think that goes to our outside support that we talked about at the very beginning is if you don't know what to do and they don't know what to do um, and, and they're really burned out, you say, hey, um, let's talk to somebody mm-hmm. and just just I mean, you're not supposed to have all the answers, guys. Mm-hmm. We went to vet school. We didn't go to, you know, to therapy school, to psychology school. Like we, you know, we went to vet school. Yeah. That doesn't equip us to handle, you know, the emotional needs of, of human beings. That's it's just not. You know, we shouldn't feel we shouldn't feel obligated to have that knowledge. And so there should there's no shame in being like, hey, let's talk to somebody who knows how to do this and who deals with this and just try to get those conversations started, uh, whether it's you guys together going or whether it's the person individually going. But just just getting some type of outside support for them, because, again, I I it is very rare that we are going to make some changes to the schedule at work and this problem is going to go away. Right. And if you're if you're sitting there and you're thinking like that seems really like a stupid thing to ask a therapist for help with, like, how do I you know, how do I help my spouse at work? It's I promise not the weirdest thing that they've heard and they hear it all the time. Like 
most recently, my relationship with my therapist has started with me taking in a question and saying, I have to make a decision and I, I don't know how to do this. And I literally don't know how to have the conversation about the decision. Can you help me figure out how to have a conversation? They hear that all the time. That's part of what they get training to do. And your point, Andy, is such a good one that, you know, just because you're a doctor doesn't mean that you went to school to work with your own human brain. Like that's very different than being a veterinarian. And a lot of us think we're doctors. We should have the answers to these things because we spent a lot of time in school. Sure. Or (laughs) I'm a caregiver. This is what I do. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's not what you do. Yes. This is very different. If you want to give people hope, and of course we do, one of one of the big things that I have found is uh, it, it's a it's an exercise of zooming in and out. And so we talk about this now. The first thing is to to zoom out, look at the big picture. What are our priorities? What do we want to do? What is important? You know, what are the stressors that are, that are really making life hard? And then you have to zoom back in real real tight, actually, to what are we going to do next? And a lot of times we get stuck in the middle. So what happens is we, we, you know, we're talking to our spouse or we're working with this person or it's us ourselves and we're burned out and we're like, I don't know what I need to feel better. And that's where most people are. You're not going to have a magical answer for your partner who doesn't know what they need. They're just tired. Um, It's not going to happen. And so if you look for that complete, robust, perfect plan that you're certain is going to work, you're going to be frozen in stasis, and they are too, and it's going to feel like we don't know what to do. We're never going to know what to do. A lot of this can be uh, can be addressed by saying, what are we going to do first? What are the first changes that we are going to make? What are the immediate changes that we are going to make? And a lot of that comes back to what your priorities are, what's causing them stress, you know, where we need to go. But it's not putting this weight on yourself of like, I'm going to fix this problem because you don't know how. Right. It's about saying, hey, I'm with you and we're going to work through this and we're going to try some stuff. And if it doesn't make you feel better or if it's not a step in the right direction, then we're going to try some other stuff. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to try some other stuff and we're going to keep the stuff that works and we're going to ditch the stuff that doesn't work. And ultimately, we are going to work until you get to a place where you are happy or where um, where you are able to disengage from this, whatever needs to happen. But you don't have to go all in and sell the practice. And you also don't have to go in and be like, you need to suck it up because that's not going to help anybody in the long term either. Right. We're talking about incremental changes, but just from um, from a visualization standpoint, it's what are you doing next? And then see how it goes. Try it for two weeks. Try it for three weeks. And then reevaluate. Hey, did that help? Was that good? What do we need to do more of? What do we need less of? And then go again. But just get started. Mm-hmm. The capacity exercise comes after that, right? When we have people who are burned out and they are doing all that they can do, one of the first things that we need to do is we need to, we need to help them rest. And so I say the capacity exercise. Uh, we've got a number of different versions of this at Uncharted that we use a lot. Is the capacity exercise is very, very, very similar to the delegation exercise because in both of them is essentially we need to we need to look at what you're doing like what mm-hmm. what is what is the workload what is filling your spouse's time where is that stress coming from and what can be taken away what could be given to other people it may be uh it may be possible to shorten someone's work day by an hour or two and really not decrease their 
case-seeing capacity at all if there's other things we can take out of their mm-hmm. data, for example. So, you know, what is uh, capacity? Let's look at what this person really does in a day and figure out what we can take from them, what we can delegate to other people, what we can just stop doing. And some people go, you can't stop doing stuff. I'm like, look, if your spouse had the flu, you would stop doing it, right? You go, we we can't not do that. If your spouse had the flu and didn't come to work, you know what happened? You wouldn't do the thing. Mm Mm-hmm. And your spouse is sick. (laughs) And so, you know, it's not ideal. It's not optimal. Um, Clients are going to get over it because this is what we have to do to, Mm -hmm. you know, to move forward. Yeah. And so the capacity exercise, how do we free up capacity so we can rest, so we can uh, so we can uh, alleviate some of the stress? And you go, it's not ideal. It's not ideal. But you know what? Burning out is not ideal either. And sometimes we pick our poison. Yeah. One of the exercises that um, has been really helpful for me, along with the capacity exercise in terms of looking at what am I actually doing, has been um, something that my therapist had has had me do, which was um, I think about a day where I felt really good at the end of a work day. Mm-hmm. And it can't be a day where like something major happened, like n- not a day where the new doctor finally signed their contract or I hired two new people or, you know, something that would in and of itself create massive amounts of happiness and joy for me. Right. Just think about a normal average day where I finished the day and I felt good and I felt accomplished and I felt happy with the day. And then I think through and write down what happened during that day. Like, what are the things that I can remember? And the first time I did this, like I had to think really hard and I, cause it had, it wasn't in the recent future. Like I really struggled to think of a day in the last few weeks or even months where I was feeling that way. And I felt guilt over that. So we had to talk through that before I could even do the damn exercise. But eventually I like thought about the day, right. And it I'd been a little bit of time. Um, and once I unpacked that guilt, I thought about the day and, and wrote wrote it all down and and looked at it and said, okay, what were the things during that day that that made me feel really good? What made me feel accomplished? You know, and and start picking little pieces of that that I could do more frequently in my everyday work day. So yeah. I found that I, you know, found a lot of happiness from sitting down and having one-on-one conversations with my team. Okay, do that more. Figure yeah. out a way to take one tiny little piece of that and put it into your day more often on an everyday mm. basis. Like you said, Andy, you know, when you you have the flu and you call out, like you just deal with that, right? Yeah, just deal with it. And on the flip side of that, when you find something that is happy, just figure out how to do it. You don't have to do it 90 times in the day. Figure out how to do it once every single day one you know and and repeat and then add it again and add it again and find ways to build off of that little tiny piece and i was amazed um once i got there at how big of a difference that made for me in having more frequent days where i felt happy and productive yeah you know uh, i love that you say that i have been doing this thing recently that i just kind of stumbled on but it's really just been awesome it's like I think that we should always have something that we're looking forward to. I, I, that's so stupid, but I'm it's like, not. man, I, I, I wake up in the morning and go, what am I looking forward to? Yeah. And, you know, and, and it's, 
I'm looking forward to this podcast with Stephanie. Like I, I, I enjoy these. I love doing it. I like the topic today. I'm like, man, this is, this is going to be a deep conversation and I'm, I, I'm up for it. And so I woke up this morning and was like, what am I looking forward to? I'm going to talk with Stephanie. And then my mulch is coming tonight to my house and I'm going to be <laughs> shoveling mulch, which I love. And so I've got, I've got yard project to enjoy the spring weather with. And it's like, those are both little things. It's like yard work and podcast with Stephanie, but it's like, I'm excited for these things. And so just having those things where I say, that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah. That stuff, that stuff matters. It totally does. And it's the psychology of that is, is huge. And there's science behind that. And one of the things that um, some old bosses of mine taught me, they uh, very much loved to travel. And they were just like, you know, what helps us even if there's six months between big trips, like what helps us is having that next thing on the calendar. And at the time I like, it didn't, it didn't matter to me, but over this last year where we haven't been able to travel and I haven't, I realized how big of a difference that made for me. And so one of the things for me is like, what is my next thing? And even if it's, even if it's far off in the future, being able to look at that on my calendar and know and have the mental countdown yeah. and know that even if there's still 500 days between now and when it's going to happen again next, every single day that countdown gets smaller, that brings immense satisfaction. And so if there's something that drives either of these people, particularly the spouse who's feeling burnt out, like mm-hmm. what is that? What is that thing that makes them happier, gives them the happiness? How can you put more of that on the calendar? How can you put more of that in their life? even if it's not immediate, right? Right. Well, say say that say that the travel is the thing, right? That that gives your spouse excitement and they're super pumped and you say, "But Andy, we're the two doctors and if we go away, we have to shut down the clinic." I would right. say, "That's why I said, think about your priorities. Really think about them right. and then look at me in the face and tell me that staying open for that week is a bigger priority." than doing what your spouse needs yes. like it's not you know and but that's why we have that thought so that we can say i'm putting in this on the calendar come hell or high water we are going to do this yeah. and and we make and we make that call the last thing that i would say as far as a, an action step is resist the urge to catastrophize yeah it is easy to feel like this is out of control my spouse is is burning out i don't know what to do my hands are tied I feel guilty. It's all coming down. I am going to, you know, I'm going to end up losing my job, my business, my dream, mm-hmm. my sp- my relationship with my spouse. Like, you know, and those things are horrible, terrifying thoughts and they are easy to have. That's it. No, no, no. We are, we are going to approach this. We are going to be supportive. We are going to start to make a plan. We are going to bring in outside help as needed. We are going to walk through this one foot in front of the other, hand in hand, and we're going to try things and we're going to see what works and what doesn't work, and we're going to continue to adjust, and all of this is going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's something to the flip side of that, which is acknowledging what the catastrophizing is with that mm-hmm. person Catching it. Yeah. that that's something um that has that has actually <laughs> that has helped me immensely um in working with you um i i feel like i know what your catastrophe looks like in your head and so <laughs> when i see you getting 
um, uh, upset or or um, emotional or struggling with something mm-hmm. that we're working on, it really helps me be able to say, okay, on a scale of one to your catastrophe, where where are we? Like, yeah, ha- you know that that is super helpful as a tool for helping your partner is to to know what that monster looks like because it's different for every single one of us. You know, right. am I am I um, am I just out of a job? Am I working a job where I'm miserable or am I, you know, living in a cardboard box in the woods because I've lost everything? Like, what does that actually look like for them? And and being able to help identify where on that scale that they are in the moment of panic or anxiety is significantly a helpful tool as a partner um, to to working with someone. Um, because it helps you say, okay, like, are, can we just, can we just breathe through this? Can we just yoga through this? Or are we at the catastrophe level where it, it yoga, we can't yoga our way out of this. Right? Right. Yeah, totally. And then you can, you can help deflate the monster right. that they're looking at, but you, but you have to know what it is, mm-hmm. right? You can't see it. Mm-hmm. You have to know what it looks like. So you can punch holes in it. Absolutely. All right, Stephanie Goss, thank you so much for talking through this with me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, this was a good one. I hope you guys have a great week and hope uh, the sun is shining wherever you are. Yeah, take care, everybody. We'll see you later. And that is our episode. That's what we got for you. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you got something out of it. If you did, please do all the things that the podcast asks you to do. Uh, like and uh, text to your friends so they can listen to it. Tell your parents about it because they know a lot of people and um write an honest review on itunes um maybe uh you just turn it on in the treatment room so that people can listen while they work i don't know i'm just if you have one of those cars that has speakers that are so big they make the trunk rattle you could just play it in the downtown area that i mean that would help but whatever you can do to help i'm not i'm just putting out suggestions here uh guys That's all I got. Take care of yourselves. Be well. I'll see you next week. Bye.